God is calling us to be a people, uh, His people, as His church, to be those that rise up and make a difference. God has never called His people to sit back and enjoy His blessings, although that they might do, but He's always called them to rise up, to get out there, and to make a change. But I don't know about you in your own personal experience, but I know certainly in my personal experience uh, of myself and in the knowledge that I have as a pastor day by day and week by week, so often we find that in our lives there are things that are holding us back from getting out there and making the difference we know, we believe God wants us to achieve. We find ourselves far from the words of freedom that Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke some great words of freedom, didn't he? He said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if the Son, that's Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. And yet there are areas of my life and and areas of your lives where we know quite honestly and quite frankly we don't feel very free. And we'd never dream of sending injured soldiers out to fight. And yet sometimes we expect uh, of our Christian lives to get out there and push back the kingdom of darkness when actually in our lives we feel chained and injured and oppressed and, uh, and all kinds of stuff and we just don't feel we've got the freedom to live in the fullness of what God has for us. This series is about Christians that say, I don't feel like I've got all the freedom I need to be the person God wants me to be. This series is about people who are prepared to say, I think there are still things in my life that if God could only deal with them and sort them out, wow, then I'd be so much better equipped to be the person that God is calling me to to be. Our church text says that God turns my darkness, it's not about you, it's about me, my darkness into light. And so as we come to the end of the year, this will take us up until Advent, we're looking at the darkness that God might turn into light, not for its own sake, Not that we might feel even more blessed by God's presence, although we will, but that we might be his people to get out there and uh, make a difference. So when we get to the new year, we'll change gear. We'll have a new church centre that will be opening and so on. And uh, and we'll be changing gear uh, again in terms of what God's asking us to do. But this is about who we are. What's God calling me to be? Who should I be as a Christian. And so this first week, we ask ourselves the question, where did I come from? You ready? This is the question that every mother dreads of their young child. Mummy, where did I come from? How do you answer that question? You know, do you launch into the stalks and the gooseberry bushes and all that kind of stuff? Or do you, or do you go for the, well, you know, you kind of, you were just there spontaneously in mummy's tummy and with equal miraculousness suddenly one day appeared outside on planet Earth? Or, or, or do you tell the truth? The truth, honest, the truth, never, not the truth, they'd never believe it in a million years if you told them the truth. How do you explain? So feel for the mother, faced one day with this deeply awkward question. Pull 
probably at tea time, just when she's dishing out the tea and the family is in that kind of end of the day, highly frazzled state. A few of you know what I'm talking about. That hour of the day when most mothers, if they're going to leave home, will leave. And this little child, this little boy, wanders in and pops the question, Mummy, where did I come from? This is it. Don't ignore it. Don't brush it aside. This is the moment. Just be honest and straightforward. Every child needs a bit of honesty and straightforwardness from time to time. Taking a deep breath, she begins to explain. Simply and as straightforwardly as possible. No innuendo, no weird euphemisms, just the plain, straight truth. Ooh, that's interesting. The boy listens with eyes getting wider and wider and wider and wider. The mother feels increasingly awkward. She puts all her emotional energy into maintaining eye contact with her child and to continue speaking in a tone that suggests this is the kind of thing we talk about easily every single day and nothing to be alarmed or frightened about. But her voice is getting a little bit higher as it's getting towards the end and certain words come out a lot higher pitch than some others. And then finally, it's over. And the silence is immediately broken by the boy who goes, yuck, I'm never going to do that which is the response most children will give. And then there's a long pause, and the mother begins to breathe for the first time in about a minute and a half. And then she says, why? Why do you ask? Oh, because Jack says he comes from Felixstowe. (laughs) You see, how we answer depends on what we mean by the question. And when we ask this question today, where did I come from? Well, we don't want to answer it geographically. You know where I come from. Wales. We don't want to answer it physiologically. You know, I think, where I come from. But it kind of, it's deeper than that. Because where I come from, it it comes out of the question, who, who am I? Who are you really? Who are you, really? If you're on an operating table in there, who are you? See, if that's me, there are a number of things that could be said about me. Uh, You might say, who who, who am I? And I'll say, well, I'm Simon Harris. You'll say, no, you're not. That's just your name. And then I might say, well, I I work for Burlington Baptist. You say, yeah, but that's not who you are. That's just what you do. I might say, well, I'm British. And you might say, no, that's just your nationality. And then you might get me on an operating table and, uh, and, uh, and, and as you do, you think, well, who is this person, really? Who is this? Would I be who I am if you chopped one of my arms off? Would I still be who I am? Good, good. That's not even GCSE biology. Good. I would still be who I am. And then what if you chopped the leg off as well? Would I still be who I am? Yes, if you threw me into the sea, you'd have to call me Bob, but that's another story. (laughs) What if, what if you took out my heart, you transplanted my heart, my kidneys and my liver, so my vital organs have been changed, would I still be who I am? Yes, we know that we would still be who we are. So, who am I? Where am I then? If you kept chopping 
Would you eventually find me? Would there be a part of me that you couldn't chop out or else I would no longer remain me, dead or alive? No. See, the question arises, what makes me the real me? What makes you the real you? Is it my body? Is it what I have? Is it what I do? Is it what I think? No, there's something more to me than that. There's more to me than arms and legs and heart and lungs and things that surround me. And when Paul wrote to the Corinthians in the New Testament, he said, you must no longer think about people from a worldly point of view. But we do that all the time, don't we? We think about people in terms of how attractive they are. You will know me as someone tall, dark and handsome. Sheer beauty takes your breath away. Uh, and and we, we kind of put people in all kinds of different pigeonholes with what they do and what they look like and how they speak and where they go and stuff. All that stuff that surrounds them, that's, very, that's not the real them. The first clue we get to who the real you and the real me is, is right back at the beginning of the Bible. When they're right back in the beginning of the Bible, it says that we are made in God's image. We're made in God's image. God is not flesh and blood. He is spirit, the Bible tells us. And we are made in his image. We have a spiritual and inner person. You might have heard the term soul or spirit. Some people talk about the soul and the spirit. I don't care quite what terms you use this morning, but we're talking about there's an inner person that makes me me. And it's that part of me, essentially, that's made in God's image. You know, we haven't been made in God's image physically, have we? Do you imagine God with little ears just like mine and little feet and toes and stuff? No, he's not made in, we're not made in his image like that. Something much more profound is going on. Something uh, about what's deep inside us. It's not our outer person, but our inner person that has the capacity to think, to feel, and choose. Deep down inside, we are spiritual beings, and the Bible reminds us all of the time that the spiritual world is even more important than the physical world. The physical world will pass away. The spiritual world will go on forever. And so we're part of the spiritual world. So let's just think a little bit more about how we were designed to be as God created us. God made a beautiful world, and in this beautiful world, he created men and women, male and female, the pinnacle of his creation. The Bible calls them Adam and Eve, the first human beings. What can we say was true about them? Well, first of all, Adam was physically alive. He was physically alive. Because his inner person, his spirit or his soul, was connected to his body. That means you're alive, doesn't it? When you die, your inner person will leave your body. He was, he was physically alive because his spirit was connected to his body. Now, I know that most of the time when you would uh, uh, see a person that's died, it's usually someone that you've loved a great deal. But one of the things about seeing a person that's died is that you know that they're not there. Something quite profound about it. You know they're not there. Why? Because the real person has left. Paul described it as being uh, away from the body but at home with the Lord. So Adam was created physically alive. We too are physically alive. 
Just nudge the person next to you to make sure that's still the case. Yeah, your spirit, your inner person is connected with your body, right? If your inner person leaves your body this morning, that's serious. There'll be paperwork for me to fill in, I suspect, and all kinds of stuff. Please don't do that here. Okay, so Adam's physically alive. He's got an inner spirit connected to his physical body. But more, Adam is also spiritually alive. His inner spirit that's connected to his body is also connected to God, which is really, really important. The core of his being, his spirit, his inner person, was connected to God. This is how all of us were designed to be. Say that after me. This is how all of us were designed to be. On the one hand, for our spirit to be connected to our body, arms, legs, fingers, toes. But at the same time, for our spirit to be connected to God. This connection to God gave Adam a whole different level of living to the one that you and I generally experience. Adam was living life as God originally intended it. And because Adam was spiritually alive, his spirit was not just connected to his body, we've all got that, but his spirit was connected to God, he received the blessings that so many of us long for in our lives. He knew significance. God had given Adam a purpose in this world to rule over it and to subdue it. Adam did not go searching around wondering what on earth he was there for. He did not spend his life wondering why he existed or what was the meaning of life. All those questions that we ask, do I really matter? Do I fit in here? Why am I here anyway? What's this life all about? Adam never ever asked those questions because he was connected to God. He didn't need to. He understood his significance. Adam had total security. He was totally safe and secure in God's presence. You know, all that stuff we did in Psalm 23 about worry and stress and anxiety and fear, Adam knew nothing about that. He would have thought that last series was utterly ridiculous, totally pointless, no need for it whatsoever. He was totally secure in God's presence. And thirdly, he knew the complete acceptance of God. Do I belong? Do I belong? Does somebody love me? Am I accepted? Am I as good as everybody else? Oh, Adam didn't have any of those questions. Never occurred to him. He knew he was totally loved and totally accepted by God. And then Adam made Eve, and, uh, and that's all he could get for a rib. Uh, the, the proper one would have cost an arm and a leg, and he wasn't prepared to give that. So, so Adam got Eve... Now that's the snake, that comes in a minute. Adam and Eve, and Adam knew Eve perfectly. No, none of this communication mess that we get into. None of this men are from wherever they are, and women are, goodness knows where they're from. No, this is complete. All the stuff we struggle and strive to sort out in our lives, Adam knew nothing of it. He's there. He's got it all. Why has he got it all? He's got it all because his spirit is connected to God. His spirit was connected to his body, physically alive. Spirit connected to God, uh, spiritually alive. It's that second bit that human beings all over the world do not naturally have. 
And these things that Adam has got, significance, security, acceptance, and all that, are not generally our experience because it all went terribly wrong. And because it all went terribly wrong, because Adam and Eve went and did their own thing and chose not to go God's way, the Bible says that they died. But what kind of death was it? When Adam and Eve sinned, did they die physically? No, they didn't. They lived for another 900 years. Who would like to be the Secretary of State for pensions with people living for 900 years? But they lived another... They did not physically die. They went on eventually to die physically, but the Bible says they died. What did they die? They died spiritually. It was a spiritual death. Their spirits remained connected to their bodies. They remained physically alive, but their spirits were no longer connected to God. They became separated from God, and they died spiritually. And consequently, everybody else who's come into the world since Adam and Eve have been spiritually dead. Sure, we've been physically alive, but spiritually dead. We were born physically alive, but spiritually dead. And the effects of this we see all around us. Every bit of discord, discontent, disharmony, dis-whatever you want to think about, every bit of that is because we are born no longer connected to God, as was the original plan. And because of that, all kinds of things have happened. We've lost our knowledge of God for a start. You see, Adam had great wisdom in his garden, in his world that he'd been given. But as soon as he becomes independent of God, he loses all sense of perspective. He becomes totally disorientated because God comes walking in the garden and Adam goes, flip, I'm naked, I'm going to hide. Now there's two things that were stupid about that. The first thing was suddenly then realising that he was naked. And the second thing that was daft is to think that he could hide from God. He suddenly became completely disorientated about which way up the world would go. Of course you can't hide from God. He knew God was everywhere. God had created all things. Now he thinks he can hide from him. He's lost his knowledge of God. Paul describes Adam's descendants that they became darkened in that understanding. When it came to spiritual things, they could no longer think straight. And and, and we live in a world like that. We can no longer think straight about spiritual things. We've become confused and disorientated. But more than that, there was something even deeper, something much greater. You see, Adam and Eve knew God. They didn't just know about him, they knew him. Maybe in Sunday school, your Sunday school teacher didn't know quite how to put it, and when you said, how did Adam and Eve have children? And your Sunday school teacher went, well, Adam knew Eve. It's a deep, intimate knowledge. The same word. Adam knew God. It was a, a, not about him, he knew him. And it's interesting how later uh, Paul picks up on, on this, much later in the Bible. You see, Paul was uh, a theological expert. He was going for theologian of the year when God struck him down. And Paul says, having met God face to face, all the stuff I knew about God was rubbish compared to actually knowing him. And so Adam and Eve lost their knowledge of God. 
and they no longer know him. I, I, I can't underline this enough. Maybe you've been in church all of your life and you know everything you think there is to know about God. I'll ask you this one. Do you know him? Do you know him? Not do you know it, do you know him? Not about, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you really know him? But that wasn't the only thing. They didn't just lose this knowledge of God. All these negative emotions came into the world that Adam and Eve had never experienced before. Suddenly, uh, they felt fearful and, uh, and anxious. One of the first things that Adam says, he goes, I was afraid. Adam had never been afraid in his life before. How many times have you said, or you've experienced fear, you say, I'm afraid. And often the most repeated word throughout the Bible is, do not be afraid that one of the greatest curses on humanity is fear. Suddenly we're scared. We're scared of the future. We're scared of dying. We're scared of our relationships. We're scared of being found out. We're scared of what other people might think of us. We're scared about absolutely everything. And we manage that fear, and sometimes it takes a lot of effort. Suddenly fear had come into the world. They felt guilty and shameful. All this business about hiding themselves, instead of feeling significant, they felt shame. Well, just think about that one for a moment. They felt shame. Suppose during the course of this series, I got to know you really, really well, so there was nothing about you I didn't know. Would I still like you? Yeah, sure, God's in me and God's in you. We'd love each other in Christ. But as I said that, the thought in your mind was, oh, I don't want anyone to know everything about me. Because deep down, there's some shame about who we are. It's never, ever meant to be. Then what came next? They felt rejected. They were. They, they were alienated from God. They were out on their ear. And they felt rejected. That, that relationship with God had, had faced a crushing blow. And it, instead of their spirits being connected with God, there was this huge gap now between them and, and God. And they found themselves out on their ear. Look at peer pressure. Why do we want so much to do what everybody else is doing? Because we want to belong. We want to be accepted. Because deep down we feel this rejection. They were weak and powerless. They had all the strength and resources they need to do what God had asked them to do, but now it would be different. It was all out of control. They were weak and powerless. And they felt depressed and angry. No wonder. No wonder. And it's only another chapter in the Bible. This all happened in Genesis chapter 3. You can read it at home. Genesis chapter 4, that anger boils up so much the first murder is committed. It's already totally out of control. Why? Because we were born spiritually dead, only physically alive. We've lost so much, haven't we? We've lost so much. Depression and anxiety, the common cold of uh, mental health. In the UK, around 25% of women and around uh, 10% of men will have at least one clinical episode of depression before they are 65. Someone asked why uh, women get it worse than men, and the reply came back, well, look who they live with. But I don't know. And in my experience, those figures could be higher. We're a fearful, anxious generation. Why? Because we're not connected to God in the way we know we should have been. And so we try to get back. This world is all about trying to get back. The great drives in, in human beings is to get back this significance and this security and this acceptance to regain everything that we've uh, lost. 
but it, it doesn't work. For how many more thousands of years will this world try to get it to work? How many more will we try? Without there being a common sense across the globe that all our efforts don't work. Who knows? Who knows how long? But it doesn't work. All these false equations about performance and accomplishment will make me feel significant. About status and recognition giving me security. Appearance and admiration. Find people that have got all of those things. One, two, three, four, five, six. Find people with all of them. And do they feel significant, secure and accepted? Is that what you read about in your Hello magazine? You say, Hello magazine? What's that, Simon? Okay. Going down the social strata now. Hello? Okay. Heat? Now I have no idea what you're talking about now. Is that what people who get fame and accomplished stuff and status, is that what they get? No. But we all look for it and we're all chasing it and we're chasing in the wind. Solomon, the greatest king uh, of the Old Testament in terms of his prominence and the vastness of his kingdom that David had built up, his father. He had everything. He had position, he had power, he had wealth, he had all the women he wanted and more. He, he, but still, he, he just couldn't come to terms with what the purpose and meaning of life was. He had it all. Everything this world could sort out, he had it, and he had an absolute abundance. And he writes a little book called Ecclesiastes. The Bible says God gave him lots of wisdom to try and see and understand. And he says it's all utter meaningless. Everything meaningless. All of this stuff is chasing the wind because our souls, our spirits are not connected to God. You can try obeying rules if you like, but no one's ever managed to do that. 100%, if you live perfectly, you'll be fine. And that's why Jesus came. Very, very simply, that's why he came came that our spirits that might be connected to God again. It wasn't something we could do. You see, Jesus came and he was just like Adam. He was just like Adam in that he was both physically and spiritually alive. But unlike Adam, Jesus didn't sin. And when he died on the cross, he died that we might be reconnected to God. Why did he come? It was all about life. In him was life, and it was that life that was to be the light of men. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Life. In other words, he will live, that person who believes in Christ, he'll live spiritually and physically. And even if he dies physically, he will still live because he is spiritually alive. And all of the stuff that Adam lost is regained. Very simple question this morning. Very simple question. Is your spirit reconnected with God? If it's not, everything is chasing the wind. Everything just is chasing. That's what the Bible says. That's not my assessment. Everything is just chasing. Is your spirit connected to God? Have you sorted that out yet? I know there's always tomorrow, but there will come a day when there are no more tomorrows. And maybe that tomorrow 
is today for you. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how often you've come to church. It's not about whether you pray and how often and to whom. Have you reconnected your life back to God because of Jesus? The Bible says that there's nothing that God longs more than for you to reconnect with him. In fact, the Bible says that uh, the only way of doing it is through Jesus. And then when you do reconnect, there is a whole celebration in heaven because they're so excited about what's happened to you. Have you reconnected to Jesus? We're going to pray. And uh, I'm asking all of you right at the beginning of this service, if you've never done it, if you've never given your life back to God and say, God, it's gone tragically wrong, this world. We've been trying to live without you and I just cannot live without you. I cannot remain spiritually dead. I've lost so, so much. Come back into my life. I want to be spiritually alive. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I realise the futility of living without you. I mean, lost that connection with you. I realise today that I've only been physically alive, but there is so, so so much more. I choose today from living my own way to living with you at the centre of my life. And I receive the new life that you died on the cross to bring. Please, would you come into my life? Would you be with me forever? Make me now by your Spirit spiritually alive and be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the very first time today, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to help you, to encourage you. On the way out, just say, hey, I did it. I did it. And I'll know what you mean. For the rest of us, maybe we've done that ages ago. But maybe you feel, I, I am a Christian, but my endless search for significance and, and security and acceptance just seems to keep on going. The Bible says these things are already ours in Christ. And Kerry and I are going to lead you in a, in a brief uh, reflection just to, before we move into uh, communion. A reflection of uh, Bible verses, Scripture. And maybe as we read some of these Bible verses, you'll be thinking to yourself, I I, I just can't believe that's true about me. That doesn't feel true about uh, my life and, and my experience. Well, we have a choice. We can believe what we feel, or we can choose to believe what God is saying is true. And that's going to be a challenge that's going to come time and time again over these weeks. Do we believe what we feel? Do we believe what our circumstances are saying? Or are we choosing to believe what God says in his word?